Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live in the relieffactor.com studio on the morning after the Michigan primary. And Donald Trump romped. Joe Biden brushed aside the Rashida Tlaib pro-Hamas effort to get people to vote uncommitted. Turns out there aren't that many people, even in the heavily Arab-American precincts of Detroit, who think that we should be backing Hamas in this war. Americans overwhelmingly support Israel, overwhelmingly. And it showed up last night. But I do want to give you the numbers and just the numbers. On the Republican side, former President Trump, got 68% of the vote, 68% of the vote, with 756,000 votes. Nikki Haley had 294,000 votes, 26.5. Uncommitted, 33,000, 3%. Other, 25,294. Some people were voting for Dwayne up there. In Michigan's Democratic primary, Joe Biden got 617,000 votes, or 81%. Uncommitted got 101,000 votes at 13.3%. Marianne Williamson still in there, hanging in there. She has she has closed her campaign, if you ever know she had one. And she got 22,000 votes. She can sell a few books up there. Dean Phillips got beat by Marianne Williamson. That's kind of embarrassing for Dean. The congressman should go home uh, with 20,000 votes. Now, the most important part about this is, and, and you really can't put too much weight on this, a grand total of 761,934 Democratic votes versus a million one on the Republican side. So significantly higher turnout on the Republican side than on the Democratic side in a battleground state. In a state where Gretchen Whitmer did her best, you know, the aging, decrepit Joe Biden has turned off people completely in his party, whereas Donald Trump has rallied his base and more than his base. And this race is essentially over. I know Nikki Haley's going to wait until after Super Tuesday to drop out, but this race is over. And it's going to be Biden-Trump if Biden can make it. And I say if Biden can make it, because if you watch the Seth Meyer thing, you realize that's not a late night show that taped earlier in the day. And I just want to play one bit for you. Joe Biden counts this as an interview, pre-recording with, with Seth Meyers. Uh, here's Joe Biden trying to reassure people about his age, cut number three. It's about how old your ideas are. Look, I mean, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe v. Wade. He wants to take us back on a whole range of issues that are... 50, 60 years, they've been solid American positions. And, um, and I really mean this sincerely. The, uh, I think it's about, about the future. 
And everything, every single thing we've done, I think we've got some good things done. Everything, and we, they told us we couldn't get them done because things were so divided. And, uh, but I think everything, everything we've gotten done, he's just friendly stated he wants to do away with if he gets elected. And I really think his views on where to take America are older than, anyway, I don't want to get He can't remember. He, I, 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 look. I feel bad for the president. He's visibly declining. And this is a message from the past to my grandchildren in the future. When I am the old guy at the table, the really old grandpa at the table, you have to sit next to me. And when I'm talking like that, you have to say, that's interesting, Baba. Tell us again about Richard Nixon in San Clemente in 1978. And I'll tell you all about it. And, you know, because you can always remember what you did when you were 22. Um, That's... That's what you do with old folks, right? Or you come visit me, and and I'm going to be cantankerous. I don't want to. I, I got a one story home, and, and and I'll be up there in my cabin in Maine, with telling stories to anyone who comes by, and you know, chewing gum at the post office, talking to whoever comes in. I know how old folks do this, and I'm not going to be on the radio. I'm I'm not going that long. You know, I, I intend to have my golden years by myself. But I, I hope the grandkids come for Thanksgiving and they got to listen to me. But that's, this guy's just too old to be president. And that was just painfully clear in that. So we have our candidates. And the key thing I want to play for you is Frank Luntz with Wolf Blitzer uh, on CNN yesterday, cut number 14. Well, I agree with Gloria about labor, but the point that she raised, that the rank and file may not be on board, Donald Trump has the chance of getting a majority of labor voters. That's never happened in the Republican Party. When you talk about African-Americans, young African-American men are looking at Donald Trump. They've never considered voting Republican before. Now, on the other hand, I want to see what happens with suburban women, particularly upper middle class, who don't like Donald Trump, are willing to vote for Joe Biden and don't find Joe Biden's age to be a turnoff. So, Wolf, we've got all these cross-currents happening. Michigan is the state because it could well could decide the election. And these voting groups are simply not behaving as they have been over the last 20 years. That, that the Trump has rearranged the table. He got the opening shot, sent the pool balls all over the place. And I think suburban women are going to come home to him because they realize we got to have a president and we don't want the hidden hand presidency to go on. I don't, I don't know who's doing the deciding. I think uh, Jake Sullivan is running the uh, non-American foreign policy. And I and by that, I mean, they're, they're just confused. They've got everything wrong. And I don't know who's running domestic policy. There isn't any domestic policy because the House is in the Republican hands and they're blocking. We're up, up against the spending cliff, which doesn't alarm me. They'll figure something out. If the government shuts for, down for a week, it's not the end of the world because it's only four agencies shutting down on Friday. And I'm not going to, I haven't covered it at all. I'm not spending a lot of time on it because it's just, they come and they go, these deadlines. There's just nothing that can be done in divided government. And that's good. It's a lot better than Democrats running everything and spending more money and reigniting 10% inflation. But I do want to turn briefly, because I'm going to spend most of the day talking about Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, Annually, I spend one day doing an ADF fundraiser. And today is the day I'm going to analyze results with uh, Mary Catherine Hamm. I am going to talk to... Olivia Beavers of Politico about what's going on in the, in the spending showdown. Not much, but we'll find out what she says. Are they sticking around over the weekend, et cetera? 
And uh, Jerry Sonnenberg, who is running for the uh, Republican seat in the 4th Congressional District that Ken Buck is finally getting out of, Jerry Sonnenberg will be joining me. He, you ought to vote for Jerry Sonnenberg in Colorado, friends, if you're in the 4th. He uh, Don't vote for Lauren Bobert. She's embarrassed us. She, she's part of the knucklehead crusade, the knucklehead caucus. Vote for Jerry Sonnenberg. But uh, outside of that, I'm going to talk about Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, I have known the ADF folks since, I think, 2011. They are um, more than 20 years old, and I've, I've been doing Blackstone Fellowship lectures for, I think, 20 years. I've been doing a lot of AD. I've stopped going to the ADF thing in the summer because I like to spend the summer in Maine and not doing anything. Uh, and so I've stopped doing that. But they win. All right. They've won 15 Supreme Court cases. They've won dozens of cases at the circuit, hundreds of cases at the district court level. They have won thousands of cases just by writing patient letters to dummies at the local level who are doing anti-Christian things and trying to inhibit the free exercise of religion and free speech. So once a year, I put aside one day, and today is the day. I I will remind you about this every day for the next month. But Alliance Defending Freedom, not for profit, so your contributions are tax deductible. They need your help. There's a banner at the top of HughHewitt.com. There's a banner up there on the top of HughHewitt.com. You can also call 855-374-4123. Now, this segment will be on my podcast today. So if you're listening to me on my podcast, put down the pod and uh, head over to your cell phone and call 855-374-4123. Or you can go to my website, hughhewitt.com, and simply hit the button at the top and become part of the greatest legal defense fund in America. They win and they win and they win and they win. I'll tell you more about it throughout today's show. Right now, I want you to listen to Ryan Bangert, who is ADF's Vice President, on why this makes a critical difference. Very simple. Do it for the next generation. Do it for yourself. Do it for the truth. ADF exists to advance the God-given right to live and speak the truth. And by God's grace, we're winning. Parents do have the right to raise their children in the way that's consistent with their beliefs. People in the marketplace do have the right to practice their profession in a way that meets their conscience. So when you do speak the truth, it resonates. And that's why I would say, please uh, support ADF because we're standing not just for our clients, but for everyone who wants to speak the truth. They do. And they've got fabulous lawyers. Now, they have the very best lawyers in America defending the originalist understanding of the Constitution, defending your and mine and my grandkids' rights to assemble, to pray, to be educated as their parents see fit. So go right now to QQIt.com, hit the ADF banner at the top. Let's turn out $10, $10,000, $100 really helps. $10,000 would help a lot. But whether it's only 10 or it's more than 100 but less than 10,000, anything helps. The banners at QQIt.com. Go there and be generous. I'll be right back on the QQIt Show. Welcome back, America. Tragically, 22-year-old Georgia Bulldog Lincoln Riley was murdered by an illegal immigrant who had been previously uh, removed from the country after entering illegally and returned. I'm joined by Mary Catherine Hamm, Georgia Bulldog herself, and a proud Georgia Bulldog. Mary Catherine, I read your first few posts on Twitter about this. You've run the path that Lincoln Riley was killed on. Uh, Tell us about your reaction to the coverage of this story. Yeah, I mean, this one is a little bit 
more emotional for me, uh, hearing about where she was killed, just that place. I ran that trail every single week of my college career. My uh, club lacrosse team where we practice is across the lake from that trail. I know exactly where she was found. That was a safe seeming place. And there's a reason that it felt safe. It's because there hasn't been a homicide at the University of Georgia for uh, about 30 years. Right. Uh, So people sent their kids there and kids went out and did the things that they had fun doing at the University of Georgia without uh, a lot of worries in this way. Um, And now we have a situation where there's two stories. There's a personal story because I want to honor this woman and her life. The thing that strikes me is that every minute I've lived from 22 to now, uh, she doesn't get she had those taken from her. She doesn't get the career and a family and kids uh, her family had those things taken from her. Her friends had the, that their whole lives with her uh, taken from them. And so there's, the, there's that part of the story. And the, the campus gathered uh, yesterday to honor uh, Lake and Riley and another student, tragically, who died by suicide the same week. Um, Wyatt Banks was his name. So it's been a rough week for the University of Georgia. There's also a policy story. And the news's job <laughs> is to cover that part of the story accurately. And yet... They're often not because they're omitting the fact uh, that Jose Antonio Barra, the 26-year-old man accused of killing this young woman, by the way, he was arrested thanks to uh, security footage. So I think we have some certainty that they're onto the right person here, um, that he was an illegal immigrant. He was here illegally. He was arrested at least once in New York City for uh, child endangerment while he was riding a scooter without a license or, uh, or registration or any of the things you need or protection for the child. Uh, He, of course, was not picked up by ICE uh, in New York City because they don't do that there. They don't allow ICE to uh, communicate with their law enforcement and pick up folks who might otherwise need to be taken out of the country. So he moves down to Georgia where he hangs out with his brother who has several arrests to his name and still apparently worked on the University of Georgia campus. Uh, So these two guys end up in Athens with no worries because it's also a uh, sanctuary city that their crimes might endanger their bogus asylum claims in this country because the federal government and the local government are totally fine with whatever they want to do until they escalate to such a point that this man's now held in jail for attempt for murder. Wow. I thought Ibarra had been removed from the country before and had returned Mary Catherine Ham. Maybe I've got that wrong. Maybe I'm confusing it with the arrest, but the point is under president Biden, the border is wide open. Eight million people have walked in. They've had, quote, encounters with Border Patrol in the first quarter of the new fiscal year, which began on October 1. That number has gone up to nine million. And we are not we haven't talked about the 40,000 Chinese nationals who've walked in. But this Georgia murderer, I'm outraged at AP and other stories that treat this as a woman's yes. safety issue. Do you want to have you commented on that in print as well? Yes, because because it's so ludicrous, by the way, because, again, uh, University of Georgia, actually quite a safe place. Uh, now, is this a rational fear when you go out maybe at night for a jog that you want to be a little more careful? Sure. But this is not some like University of Georgia problem or a toxic masculinity problem. This is a problem with the guy who is accused of murdering Lake and Riley. And the crazy thing about the AP story and this is how you know they're just lying to you instead of being like sloppy or uh, just a little biased, right? Is that they mentioned Molly Tibbetts in the same story. They have a sample size of two young women murdered while they were jogging. Molly Tibbetts was killed in 2018 in Iowa. Similar story. University of Iowa student went out for a jog, didn't come home. Her killer, who is now serving a life sentence, was also an illegal immigrant. 
And somehow the AP is unable to find that common thread. Wow. Uh, because they don't want you to have that. Yeah. Wow. It was unmentioned. I didn't know that. That, that you know, that's just yeah. positive, as we lawyers like to say, that bad yes. things happen when you let young men of predator age enter into the country illegally and do not detain them while we process their suitability to be here. Now, Mary Catherine, yes. I don't want to politicize the tragic death of a young woman, but I do believe this will right. be an issue in the campaign. I think everyone's going to know Lake and Riley's name. Do you? Um, look, I think this can make a difference. And the reason I think it can make a difference is because I know the demographics of the people who are, for instance, parents of University of Georgia students, right? Georgia is home to many in-state students because they have a great scholarship program where you can go if, you're, if your grades are decent uh, at a very low price to the University of Georgia. So a lot of those parents are in Georgia and they are voters and they are suburban voters outside of Atlanta. Um, so I think and I've seen the parent boards. This is the part where I'm like closely connected to it. The parent boards have just lit up um, on Facebook and other places discussing the safety of their kids. Because the thing is, the DA here, look, not every person who crosses the border, obviously, is going to commit violent crime. But if you have a place that is a magnet for people who are protected when they commit crimes, you're going to get more of them. And they're asking the DA, what the heck am I doing to keep my kids safe? So that, that's a thing that resonates with parents. Go and listen more. MK Hammer discusses with Vic Mattis on Getting Hammered, her weekly, or bi-weekly podcast, which you've got to have on your download, Getting Hammered. Mary Catherine, thank you for a heartfelt uh, appearance today. I appreciate it. Go dogs. You've never heard a Buckeye say that before, but good luck in getting through this week. I'll be back. Hour number two straight ahead. Head over and hit the Alliance Defending Freedom button as well at the top of UHewitt.com. This is the Market Report, which is brought to you by our friends at American Federal. AmFed.com, AmericanFederal.com, actually, AmFed Coin and Bullion sells you gold, silver, platinum. If you're like the one, 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 one hundredth percent of people that collects coins, you can deal with them, too. They're very, very sophisticated. As for Nick or any of his team, Nick Grovich is my pal. If you want to buy gold, buy gold directly from Nick. AmericanFederal.com or call 800-221-7694. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live from California, where the Internet is very iffy this morning, and our fiber optic provider is also... uh, The hamsters are out of the cage, Olivia Beavers, chief political correspondent for Politico. I don't... We were down for like 10 minutes because it's California, and we've got a budget deficit of $68 billion. I can't wait to get back to the Beltway. How are you, Olivia? I'm good now. Let's see what I look like next week, and then we'll... (laughs) Well, we'll we're up against story. we're up against the deadline. So can you just tell our listeners what is going on on the budget cliff that we're dancing on right now? We're basically seeing if the different congressional leaders are able to strike a deal to keep the government funded. I think we're expecting at this point it will be another short term deal. Um, they walked out of a White House meeting that lasted a little bit more than an hour yesterday. So President Biden, Speaker Johnson, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Hawking Jeffries, and they all talked about how they thought it was a good meeting. They were able to make some progress. Um, and basically, it seems like the idea that Speaker Johnson is leaning into right now is um, basically he wants to try to pass um, some appropriations bills, and he's basically asking for 
um, that kind of deadline to be moved slightly. So maybe a little bit later in March for some of the bills that they think are achievable. And then an even later date, March 22nd, for some of the other bills that might be even more difficult. So some of the ones that they might, you know, just move in the short term would be Milcon VA, Ag, um, Energy and Water, and Transportation, essentially. Um, And I think Interior would be, you know, attached to that. So you'd have six that would be moved to March 8th, and then a few more that would be moved later on. So it would still be... Um, done in two different dates. So if I understand what the speaker um, is trying to do, he wants to pass real appropriations bills, not a continuing resolution, but for the short term would accept the CR that kept the government open for two or three weeks while they passed real appropriations bills. Is that the overview? That's the goal. And that's what he said he wants to do is there's 12 appropriations bills that they, you know, they used to be able to pass. I think not, in my lifetime, but they would pass them individually to keep the government funded. And that has transformed over the decades into lumping them together and doing short-term, you know, spending bills um, to essentially just keep largely the same kind of government spending that they have. And so he wants to do them separately, but that's also where you're going to encounter some of his own Republicans trying to attach different things that would you know, never succeed in the Senate. So the, the negotiations are going to go on. Republicans will be pushing for certain abortion provisions. Um, you know, there's there's always sort of things that get attached that they're called policy riders that um, basically Senate Republicans are warning, if you just drop them now, we'll be able to move forward with this. But I don't, you know, at the moment, the House has not given up on them. House now, this is, this is not new. When I was in the Reagan administration, which is before you were born, uh, I got saddled with writers every year at OPM, where I was the general counsel, then the deputy director, then the director. And every year I would get an appropriations bill and it would have these little writers attached to it that were nasty little bug bites, right? They tell you what you cannot and you can do in micromanaging ways. And I'd throw my hands up, but they're the law. And that's what Congress negotiates. They're in charge of the purse. So what is there a defense bill? Is the defense appropriations moving forward? Is that one going to get done? Because that's the most important one in my eyes. That one usually is the one where people are the most um, bipartisan and it seems like it would have a, a pathway forward. Um, there's still, I think, some conservatives who want to be pushing for amendments about abortion and, and you know, the DOD, like you sort of saw with Senator Tuberville making that push um, way back when, when he was holding up doing the military holds. Um, but my understanding is that one is not, um, you know, it's not in the first batch of the March 8th. It would be the, the, the second one. And so if they don't get a short term CR done to allow the 12 appropriations bill, if they don't get that done by Monday, do all but essential employees go home? I mean, the. They're going to, there's going to be a partial shutdown starting Saturday morning. So, and we're already sort of in a tough area where if we don't see text, Speaker Johnson has pledged that he would give his members 72 hours to review basically whatever agreement comes out if they're able to land it in time with congressional leaders. So if they, you know, it kind of is a do or die sort of today if they're able to secure that. Of course, that also ends the the backdrop of something else that's happening, which is Hunter Biden's coming to the Hill to testify today behind closed doors. So um, lots of busy things happening this week. But <laughs> Are you going to be outside the doors of the Hunter Biden testimony? Are you going to be waiting to get, uh, you know, shot questions at him and have him walk by with uh, without answering? 
we, my colleague Jordan, I'm on shutdown duty. My colleague Jordan will be outside that and it's a closed door. So, um, with some of that, I, you know, I've covered these closed door depositions. The transcripts going to be made available. I would bet what you're going to see is members from both parties running out and spinning these very different narratives of what they heard behind closed doors from this testimony. And then you'll see the initial write-ups and then you'll see the, the transcript come out and <laughs> there will be some reporters being like, man, my source misled me on this one. Uh, you know, Olivia, I don't really envy you your job, but you're good at it. You're very, very good at it. Are you going to be on special reports panel tonight with me? No, not until next week. All right. Darn, next, be fun. next week. All right. I'm doing the panel tonight on Special Report. Thank you, Olivia Beavers from Politico. I don't know who I'm doing it with, but I'm sure we'll be talking about Donald Trump all but wrapping up the nomination yesterday. And the same for Joe Biden. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be back if the hamsters keep rolling along in California. Stay tuned. I want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is. I bet, but we don't... I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco no, Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And um, that is a, and it's healthy, it's wise, it's yes. productive. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, high candidates. February 28th. I'm in the ReliefFactor.com studio in California, where we've been experiencing all of California's woes this morning. But we're working for the moment. And Jerry Sonnenberg joins me. He's running for Congress in Colorado's 4th Congressional District. Welcome back, Jerry. Good to have you. Tell us about, first of all, the district and then about the campaign. Well, it's great to be back with you, Hugh. Uh, Obviously, uh, I'm excited about the campaign. The district is a very large district. It's basically the eastern third of Colorado, including the southern part of Denver or a suburb of Douglas County, uh, which is roughly 50% of the population of the district. But the campaign's going great. I've had some wonderful successes. I've had incredible endorsements this week. Uh, three former senators, uh, uh, U.S. senators from Colorado, and Corey Gardner, Wayne Allard, and Hank Brown, who also served in the 4th Congressional District years ago as well, uh, all endorsed me this week. So it's it's an exciting time for my campaign and uh, very excited to be a part of it. Those are three great gentlemen, I'll bet you. I can't speak for the late Senator Bill Armstrong, who's a pretty good friend of mine, but if those three endorsed you, I bet you Bill would have endorsed you as well. Uh, Hank Brown was one of my son's uh, professors when he was at CU, loved Hank Brown, that's a big vote of confidence, Jerry Sonnenberg. Let's let the audience know. Lauren Boebert is running against you. She's uh, carpet-bagged in. Has the 4th District welcomed her, or are they saying, no, thank you, Lauren, you go back to the West Slope or the East Slope or whatever slope she's from and let the 4th District elect a 4th District native? You know, she has a following that will follow her off of uh, wherever she wants to go. But yes, for the most part, uh, I think the 4th District wants somebody with roots in the district, that understands the district, that uh, grew up here. Uh, You know, as we talked last time, I live in the same house that both my father and I were raised in. Uh, I raised my children there. Uh, 
been uh, on this Centennial Farm for over 100 years. I know the district, and the district knows me. They trust me. Uh, they know I have integrity and character. Uh, I think that's important to this district, and I think that's why so many people are following my campaign. I'm wondering, does Fort Collins fall into your district and thus uh, Colorado State University? Uh, it does not. It borders right next to Fort Collins, but uh, part of Larimer County, Loveland, which is just south of Fort Collins, is part of the district. And understand that even though I am an Eastern Plains guy, uh, I represent, even, even though they can't vote for me, all of rural Colorado, I have voted for them, including our land-grant university, CSU, uh, and those folks there. Matter of fact, uh, I work with uh, Chancellor Tony Frank uh, on a regular basis. So uh, excited about those opportunities as well, even if they're not in my district. Now, uh, Jerry Sonnenberg, Colorado has the funkiest election laws that I know of. Uh, they go both primaries and conventions. So tell us what the dates are that the audience that matters need to know about. Well, the uh, the most important date is the primary, which is June 25th. Uh, but there are a number of dates before that. Uh, if you're going to petition on where you gather signatures to get on the ballot, those have to be turned in by the middle of March. I believe March 19th or March 17th, something like that. Uh, and then if you're going on the assembly uh, through our caucus system, where you gain votes, you have to get 30% of uh, the votes of the people that go to the assembly uh, to get on the ballot. If you go that route, that is the first weekend in uh, uh, April. Uh, actually, it's the same day as Rockies, uh, the Colorado Rockies opening baseball game. So, Ooh. gosh, it's a toss-up for me. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, the Rockies stole one of the Guardians' great rising outfielders from us, so I've got a bitter, bitter thing with the Rockies going on. But, Jerry, will you be on the ballot for sure when the voting occurs in June? Well, uh, yes, I I sure hope so. I mean, we're we're going the dual route. Uh, We're gathering signatures just for an insurance policy as well, uh, but also going through the assembly. With 11 people in this race, the assembly uh, is a challenge for everybody, quite frankly. Uh, you got to have 30% of the assembly to get on the ballot. Uh, so that becomes uh, uh, more challenging with 11. You can divide 100% by 11. All of a sudden, you're at 9%. To get 30% becomes uh, interesting. So uh, how, how is the signature effort going? And, and do you think you're going to have to turn in like – uh, 50% more than the necessary level, given that some people sign everything and some people are makeup names, et cetera? Yeah, we'll actually, uh, we'll actually do probably almost double the number of signatures. Uh, we only need 1,500 signatures, which isn't a lot, but they all got to be from registered Republicans in this district. And if someone else turns in their petition before mine and someone signed two petitions... That throws out that the first one in gets that signature. So 
Uh, yeah, we're going to shoot for uh, somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 signatures. Uh, and it's going well. We just made that decision this last week. Uh, we had looked at just going through the caucus. I've been excited about our caucus. Uh, that's the way I've always gone through the process. But every advisor in the world is telling you to buy insurance, to get that insurance and get signatures uh, it, it looks like a tough road through the caucus of the assembly system. Yeah, you got to get people out at the shopping centers and you got to get them in the district and you got to realize knuckleheads sign everything and then you got to be first. So, Jerry Sonnenberg, tell us where your website is because some folks want to be involved as contributors, some want to be signature gatherers, others just want to follow the race. So, how do they find Jerry Sonnenberg's campaign website? Sonnenberg for Congress.com. Uh, S-O-N is in Nancy, N is in Nancy, E-N is in Nancy, B-E-R-G for Congress.com. Uh, go there. You can see my policies there, uh, where I stand. Uh, it also has a way to get a hold of me. And quite frankly, I look forward to talking to anybody that wants to visit. That's the greatest part about campaigning is just sitting down and visiting with the people in the district. Well, if Cory Gardner, Wayne Allard, and Hank Brown all agree on Jerry Sonnenberg, I think the people of the 4th Congressional District ought to sign your petition, ought to show up at the Assembly. The Rockies only can take 40,000 people because they like to hit home runs there. So otherwise, go to the Assembly and get behind Jerry. We need a serious man for serious times. Jerry Sonnenberg, thanks for joining me. We'll talk before that June primary again. Thank you, my friend.